may be seated. It's good to see you all this morning, Conduit. Um, and um, we're uh, in a we're in a, a brief little series here at the beginning of the year that is just going to help us kind of reset our vision for uh, the coming the coming year. All right. Um, so we call it like just a, a vision reset or a little reboot for 2020. And last week we talked about our number one core value here at Conduit. And our number one core value really is kind of like the, not kind of, it is the North Star behind everything that we do. If you, of course, most of you remember or know the story of the wise men who followed the star that the angel said would lead them um, to the child king, Messiah Jesus. And it was that North Star that they kept their eyes focused on, even in the midst of threats from, Fer- uh, from Herod himself. They kept their eyes focused on that North Star, and it took them to the promise that was the child. And so even uh, for you and I as individuals, so important for us to have that proverbial North Star that we keep our eyes on um, when we are um, walking into the promise of God or walking towards the promise of God and for a church as well, uh, really critically important that we maintain our vision towards the North Star, Um, the one singular thing that is leading us into and to uh, the promise that God has for us. And for us, our number one core value here at Conduit is that Jesus is everything and that the gospel changes it all. That, that Jesus, that the life, ministry, and character of, um, of Jesus was one that was wrapped up in the authority that, have, that he had both in heaven and on earth. And also that the ministry that he brings, that the, that the, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change everything. Has the power to change everything in your life. Has the power to change everything in your circumstances. Has the power to change everything in our city. Has the power to change everything in the world. And if we step off of that path, even just a little bit, life begins to crumble. Life begins uh, to fall apart. And so, super important for us to not be distracted by important things, but nowhere near equal to the lordship and supremacy and authority that Jesus Christ has, both in our lives and in the church, okay? Uh, So this morning, we're going to talk about two more core values that are connected to each other, and then next week, we'll talk about the remaining two core values that are also connected um, to one another. Uh, So we'll be talking about two of them this morning. And uh, the first one that we're going to talk about this morning is this core value. And we stated them all last week, but um, this one in particular says that we have one job. And that is to make disciples. Raising up disciples of Jesus Christ is the primary work of the church. You know, when... um, when, and leave that slide up there for just a moment because I want you to get that and I want you to hear that. We have one job. We have one job. 
and that is to make disciples. Raising up disciples of Jesus Christ is the primary work, the primary task, the primary mission and ministry of the church. Not just conduit, as in like conduit church, but the big C church, meaning all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ from the beginning until the end, the command that Jesus has given to the church is to go into all the world and to make disciples. You know, um, I, as a part of, um, as a part of my ministry over the last, um, over the last 15 or so years, I've had, um, some might say it's the curse, I think it's a tremendous privilege to sit on um, more than one deathbed. Uh, to be with people as they are in their last moments of life here on earth. Some of them um, having already expressed faith and trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Others, um, not. But um, despite whether someone has faith or someone um, doesn't have faith, one thing uh, seems to be similar in all of those experiences that I've had. And is that in the last days... Sometimes in the last minutes or moments of a person's life, there is an urgency to say the things that are most important to them. Like, I got one shot, right? I got, I got one moment left. Like, if you, if you knew that the next thing that came out of your mouth was going to be the last thing that you said to the people that you love, what would you say? What, what, would, what would that thing be? And I think there's a universal understanding that in, mo in, those last, in those last moments of life, the thing that is said is generally pretty important. There's generally no, the, like, you're just wide open, you know, vulnerability on full display. You're not holding anything back. You're not pulling any punches. Everything that's being said in that moment is, is exactly what you wish that you would have said because, hey, at this point, what do you have to lose, right? And I don't think that we need to think of the words of Jesus really any differently here. In the Gospel of Matthew, the very last, uh, the very first Gospel, the very last thing that Jesus tells um, his disciples. The very last thing that Jesus tells his disciples. It's critical for us in understanding, well, hey, man, if... If Jesus knew that this moment was coming, what would be the last thing that Jesus would want to communicate? What would be those words that like, oh man, I've got one shot. I can't screw this up. I must communicate this. They got to get this. If I don't say it now, it's never going to come out. Like that, we should probably pay attention to that, right? Not that, not that like some words are more or less important for, from Jesus, but like there's some urgency here. So in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20, we see uh, just exactly what Jesus says. And uh, most people uh, who have been to church are familiar with it. And if you haven't been to church or grown up in church, I'm excited to introduce to you what is for Jesus. Like that, hey, last words, everyone who believes in me, get this, don't miss it. Here are your marching orders. Ready, set, go. All authority. In heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore, go and make disciples. 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if um, experience and pattern holds true, these were some of the most important words that Jesus would say. So understanding them for our lives, I think, um, bears, some, bears some focus. Bears, uh, bears some uh, repeating, maybe. Uh, Jesus started out uh, by saying, hey, um, in case you need a reminder, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then the very next word, like he says all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me because he wants to, I think, qualify what he's about to say. All, hey, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, or since all authority has been given to me, since there is no one higher, no one greater, no Lord, no ruler, no king, no God above me, I want you to get this through your heads right now. Therefore... I think we can confidently say that what Jesus expresses here is not something that he considers to be a secondary consideration. Not, not something that, that, that he is saying, you know, hey, you know, if you get to it, um, if there is time, if in the midst of your busy schedule, if, you know, I mean, I know you got a lot of... Um, you got a lot of church programs going on. You got a lot of things that you're doing. Um, you're really busy um, with your with your social life. You're really busy with your family. You know your kids are really busy. So I mean, if you have time, and if it's not too much of an inconvenience, would you maybe consider going and making a disciple or two? No, I mean the first sentence qualifies. The importance of the second. Hey, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. It's not just a, the, the, the job of the primary task of making disciples is not just a church program or a ministry within the church among others. But it is the main value that permeates all other things in in all things that are being done we should be consistently and constantly asking this question of it does this promote a disciple making culture does this um does this support does this encourage does this push the making of disciples will a disciple be made in some way form through or in this 
ministry. It is not a secondary consideration. It is not a, if you have time, think about it. It is a primary qualification of all that is to be done in our corporate lives and in our individual lives. How am I making disciples? Jesus uses um, some pretty significant um, verbiage here in the scripture when he tells us to go and make in verse 19. Therefore, go and make. Go and make. Go and make. Go and make. Not sit tight, cross your fingers, and hope. Right? Where this is like, it, it's, it's very clear that, that Jesus sees the task of making disciples as something, as, as something that, that believers in him take as an active role or an active pursuit in their life. Go and make. You know, I was thinking about this word make. And I was thinking about also um, one of my parting comments to you last week about um, uh, the, the insistence or maybe the assurance that I was maybe trying to give you and, and, and maybe you thought it was weird and maybe it scared you, I don't, I don't know, but like the, the assurance that um, as a church and as a family, we're going to try things and some of those things are not going to work, right? Like we're going to try something this way and Ah, it doesn't really work. Or we're going to try and do something this way. Oh, it's not working anymore. Or we're going to try and we'll take all the kids that are 9 through 12 and we'll put them in one room on Sunday morning. Oh, maybe it works for a while and then maybe it doesn't work anymore. Right? But, but, but what we're, gonna do, we're not going to be afraid to do things and run with it until it doesn't work anymore. Because um, like there's this thing about like when you when you go to make something, like say you're gonna make a cake, right? And you bake this cake and you follow the you follow like the the best instructions that you possibly can, um, and you bake it and you take it out and you eat it and maybe it's dry or maybe it doesn't have any flavor or maybe you. Uh, well, I wish it was like this or didn't rise enough. Whatever the case may be, you say, all right, well, I made it once. Uh, I got to tweak it now so that it's just better next time. So that it more, more fully expresses the deliciousness of a chocolate cake that I would really desire. And, and honestly, look, um, the, the, the process of making disciples is, is not different than that, right? It's, it's not like the process is not so holy that there is one specific way to do it and one way only. What we're going to find out here, what we're going to talk about in a little bit, is that disciple-making is not formulaic, right? If it was easy as just punching the keys in the right order, right? Doing the right things in the right process for every man, woman, and child that walked through these doors, we'd have 200 disciples, right? It'd be easy but, that, but the, the thing is, is that it's not easy. It's not, it's not cut and dried. It doesn't happen all on its own. We can't just sit tight, cross our fingers, and hope 
that people begin to follow Jesus by faith as a disciple of him. We must go and we must make. And we must be aware that from time to time we might have to tweak the recipe of what it takes to make a disciple in order for the cake to come out perfect. And we will. And we won't be afraid of that. And we won't be afraid to try new things. We won't be afraid to do creative things. We won't be afraid to fail. Because, listen, the task is so great that it may take super creative, out-of-the-box, never-did-it-that-way, or always-done-it-this-way types of ways to make a disciple in order for us to be effective. And we need to be able to say, yeah, we're going to do that. But suffice it to say, Jesus' qualifications that we are to go and make communicates that it is an active pursuit, something that we cannot just sit back and let happen all on our own, but something that we must see permeates every aspect and ministry of the church and of our lives, and we must be pointed at the bullseye that is disciple of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of what? This is interesting. Of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now I think in general what Jesus was trying to communicate um, was that there are no boundaries. You have have no boundaries. There There are no geographical guardrails to where you do or don't make disciples. Right? The world is your oyster, so to speak. Um, uh, later in, uh, in the book of Acts, um, the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples again. And he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? And where does he say that you will be my witnesses? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? That little spot that they're standing right there, you know, little tag, the pin that they're standing at. And then you will be my witnesses where? In Judea, and if like Jerusalem is the pin, right? If Jerusalem is Jamestown, Judea is like Chautauqua County. And then what does he say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Judea. You will be my witnesses in Samaria. So it's like Jamestown, Chautauqua County, Western New York. You will be my witnesses where? Is the last place that Jesus says, to the ends of the earth, right? There's no confusion there, right? You will be my witnesses where you stand. You will be my witnesses in the next largest place. You will be my witnesses in the next largest place. You will be my witnesses in the next largest place. There's no geographical boundary that you should be aiming for. Now, I think for practical realities, we say, well, hey, the people that are closest to us make good practical sense for us to begin making disciples there. Am I right? Right? The people that we work with, right? The people that's next door, the people in our city, the guy that's on our sports team. What, I mean, whatever, whatever it takes, it, it, it's good practical thinking to say the people that are closest to us are the people that we should be seeking to make into disciples of Jesus Christ first and foremost, but what I got to say, church, is like, that has, oh my gosh, if I could, if I could catalog for you how many people 
have said to me, why are we doing ministry over there when there are people right here that need Jesus? And from a practical sense, I understand where they're coming from. I understand, I understand that logic. From a theological sense, Jesus was like, because I told them to. I mean, you're, you're thinking in these like small little circles of, well, you can't move on and make disciples um, over there until you've made enough disciples here. Listen, someone who needs Jesus anywhere is worth the church being everywhere. There is no geographical qualification ever anywhere in Scripture. And what it, what it usually shows us it usually betrays this latent fear within us of not being able to make disciples anywhere. Like, uh, I, it seems scary to go over there, right? It seems scary to do this over here. So let's say, well, yeah, I'm not done making disciples over here. Listen, it's not that we can't have any practicality in maybe you would say like the um, strategy to make disciples of those immediately surrounding us we want to right i want to make disciples of the guy across the street here and the lady across the street here and like right we we want to we, we want to introduce them to the love of god that's in jesus christ we want to see them confess their sins and repent of them and be baptized and be taught the things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Yeah, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. But li listen, but the gospel of Jesus Christ demands not that we just reach to people that we can actually reach, but that we reach to people that requires us to do the thing that Jesus told us to do, which is go. Go. Move. T take a step. Go and make, not sit tight, cross your fingers, and hope. But the, I, I think probably the, the, the main like, thrust of what Jesus is saying here comes in what he's asking us to do or the type of person he's asking us to build or make. And that is a disciple. We have an idea of what a disciple is, and we, we think a disciple is a fisherman who threw down everything and went to follow Jesus and like in general we're we're true right but like well I'm not a disciple for disciples and uh you know I can't be a, a disciple I can't give three years of my life to and then watch some guy like listen th th like don't overthink it right don't get don't don't get I'm not gonna say that <laughs> don't overthink it we get stuck in these like dumb patterns of thinking. Okay? Don't overthink it. What is a disciple? It's not just a Jesus word. It's not just someone who actually physically followed Jesus around. A disciple is someone who models their life after another person and learns within close relationship with them. That's what a disciple is. Models their life after another learns within the context of close relationship. A disciple learns within the context of close relationship. 
Our job is to go, therefore, into all of the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to make disciples of Jesus. We are not to make disciples of ourselves. Right? The goal is not that I would disciple someone to Cameron Linehart, that we would disciple someone to Conduit Ministries, that they would follow Cameron, that they would follow Conduit, that they would follow Scott or Jessica or Aaron or Jeff or Jen, not that they would follow us. We are discipling people not to a church, not to a person, but to Jesus Christ. We want people to model their life after his. We want them to learn in the context of relationship with Jesus himself what it is like to be obedient to God and live in the fullness of the blessing that he offers them. We make disciples of Jesus, not of ourselves. Jesus goes on to say that um, there are uh, a few things that happen in this disciple-making process. Now, we could, we could speak um, on these things. We could have the, our, an own, our own sermon series on, on baptism and teaching them all that I have commanded you to do. Um, that's not the purpose this morning, but suffice it to say, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Well, it's always, it's always um, tempting, uh, I think, for, for preachers to um, really dissect what Jesus means here when he says baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I, I kind of myself fell into that temptation a little bit this week. I mean, like, well, what does Jesus really mean when he's saying this? Right? And um, I got to the end where it was, like, time to really put, like, pen to paper in getting, like, the sermon stuff, like, down. Like, I mean, man, you chew on it, and you pray about it, and you read, and you study, and you read, and pray, and chew, and write. And, like, and at the end of the day, like, the simplest answer is almost always the right one. Not just here, but in all areas of life. The simplest answer is almost the right one. When Jesus says that we should go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that he has commanded, my guess is, my best educated theological guess is that he means we should go baptize people and teach them to obey everything that he has taught. That's my, that's my best guess at this point, and I think that that's what the word, that's what the word communicates as well, that, that in baptism, part of the disciple-making process is that we are leading people to make an expression, a public expression, of their saving belief and faith in Jesus Christ. That there is a critical moment in the disciple-making process where a man, a woman, a child says in the company of those who have expressed a similar faith, I believe in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven me of my sins. I submit to his lordship over me and commit to living and walking with him as his disciple. Under the water, out of the water, into death, 
in the resurrection. Everyone cheers, and as conduit tradition, confetti cannons go off, right? Because we are excited that a, pro that, 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 a, that a point in the disciple-making process has been passed and that we are fulfilling exactly what it is that Jesus has asked us to do, but also we are welcoming someone else into life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and are about to be witness to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their life. That's why we celebrate. But then we have this second, right? We, we, we walk with them into a public expression of saving belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And then, as Jesus says, we teach them to obey everything that I have commanded to you. Um, now listen, um, what we often believe teaching to be is a um, transfer of information, right? Because that's how each one of you and, and myself has been taught, right, in school. Our whole, our whole culture, well, you want to get better at something? Well, you just need to learn more about it, right? You just need the information. You just need, you, you just need to download more data, right? Just get the information in you. It will automatically produce the results that you want. Uh, we talked about this at the beginning of the summer when we did the Proverbs series, is that as a culture, we have never had more information and we've never been more dumb. Right? In information only goes so far when you factor in wisdom. Right? Information and wisdom are not the same things, right? And so, yes, is part of teaching information? Absolutely it is. But listen, even Paul in his letter to the Corinthians says in chapter 8, verse 1, that knowledge, knowledge and knowledge alone just puffs up. But love actually builds up. That if we, if, if we take the role of teaching as the, the, the one and only, uh, if we take the role of like transferring theological information as the one and only thing that has to do with teaching we we will we will produce an army of people who know everything about god everything about scripture everything about faith but still have no life in the spirit i mean come on this was the pharisees and sadducees Right? This was continually the thing that Jesus was like, guys, you're going to make me pull my beard out. You know everything about the law. You know everything about God. You could memorize it and recite it all. You, you, like, you, you tithe on like the little grains of the seasonings that you have, but, you will, but, but, but you're still producing twice the sons of hell that you yourself ever have been, right? They were missing something. It wasn't just about the information that they had. It was about what they were doing, right? With the information that they had. They weren't letting it transform who they were in relationship with God. They were simply using it as a tool to show everyone else, look at how smart and godly I am. Jesus 
always taught not as a transfer of information, but Jesus taught in the context of close relationship with his disciples. The disciples walked with Jesus. They listened to Jesus. They watched Jesus. They modeled what Jesus did. They ate with Jesus. They prayed with Jesus. They slept with Jesus. And then Jesus sent them out and said, okay, you, you go give it a try, right? And they would go out and some things would work and some things would not. And they would come back to him and they'd be like, Jesus, 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 um, the demons won't listen to us. Like, well, you haven't prayed enough. Right? That's what he said. We can't cast out these demons. They won't, they, they're, they're, not, they're not listening to us. It's because you haven't prepared yourself in prayer. There was, a relation, there was the context of relationship, right? So as the disciples were walking out their discipleship, right, and something wasn't working, they came back to the beginning and be like, you know, um, why isn't this working for me? And Jesus is like, well, have you tried praying more? And then you see again and again and again and again and again, Jesus would say, hey, come pray with me. Let's go pray. Jesus would model the life of solitude and prayer. And so discipleship for Jesus was not just about, hey, read this book, read this blog, listen to this podcast, do this Bible study. It was about, hey, walk with me, watch me, learn, practice, fail, come back, readjust, do it again, walk with me. Oh, make a disciple over here yourself, right? So you can understand the process, right? Do it again, try it over here, watch, do it with me. The context of relationship is critical in the process of making disciples. If it was critical for Jesus, then guess who else it's critical for? You and us, you, you and I, right? That that we must be in relationship, regular and close relationship with people if we intend and have as a goal to make disciples of all nations. Not as a secondary concern, but as a primary one. Which brings us to our next... Sorry. Which brings us to our next... Um, our next core value this morning, uh, which is that we, we do life together. We do life together in gospel community. Listen, um, man, do I love you people. I really do. Um... Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not exclusively an individual pursuit, but it is necessarily a communal one. Becoming a disciple is not something we do on our own. It is a communal act. It is a communal walk. Well, I, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't really like the church. I got news for you. Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves it. 
In fact, the scripture says that Jesus gave his life for the church. That Jesus is the head of the church. That the church is the bride of Jesus. Uh, let me tell you what. Um, you speak poorly about my bride, we're going to have issues. Major issues. There's no such thing as loving Jesus but hating the church. It does not exist. Those two things are mutually exclusive to each other. Uh, Jesus does not approve of this statement, stamp. Here, the, here's the, re, the reality, right? When we say that, that disciple making um, or becoming a disciple of Jesus is not exclusively individual, but necessarily communal. Now, does that, does that mean I'm not personally responsible for my own following of modeling my life after Jesus? Absolutely not, all right? Each one of us must take personal responsibility for our following of Jesus. But part of that personal responsibility is to root yourself in a community that is gospel-driven, where Jesus is the center. You might, have, you might have examples of community in other areas of your life, right? You probably have some sense of community in your, um, your work, right? Camaraderie, friendship, you might hang out with them outside of work, right? You might have some sense of community with... Um, your family. You might have some sense of uh, community if you uh, like go to a gym or you're on a sports team or something like that. A bunch of different people like really close to you. You're all doing the same thing. You feel like together and united in something. Uh, you might have a, a social club or a group or you have a sense of community and all those things are great and all those things are valuable. Uh, but listen, uh, these are places that do not always provide environments of grace, kindness, accountability, and encouragement to walk like Jesus did. They may be important places of community for you. Look, but if, you, if your desire and your intention is to be a disciple and to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to be important for you that you be rooted in a gospel community, a community that, that permeates kindness and compassion and grace and, and, and love and accountability and encouragement to follow Jesus even when it is difficult. Because other forms of community don't always do that for us, right? And let's be honest. <laughs> okay? Let's just... Everyone sees the elephant in the middle of the room, so let's just point it out, right? Let's be honest. Um, sometimes it's hard to find gospel community in a church as well. Sometimes, sometimes we're, we, we, our, our, our experience at church is not one of grace, and it's not one of kindness, and not one of accountability, and not one of encouragement to walk like Jesus. And sometimes we come and and, and, and sit and we, and we don't feel any of those things. We don't feel accountable to anyone. We don't feel encouraged by anyone. We don't feel like, like um, anyone understands where, where I am in my life or is being kind to me or is like expressing grace to me. But here's what, here's what I found. In situ and like, listen, I, 
I know that better than any of you, okay? That that's, that's a reality in churches, okay? Um, uh, that, that, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the church. That means there's something wrong with us. It means there's something wrong with me. It means there's something wrong with you. It means that there's something wrong with all of us where, like, not every single moment, not every single interaction, not every single relationship is always God-honoring. And sometimes, right, like we said at the beginning, sometimes it's necessary for us to be like, oh, man, I really um, have been messing up for, like, the last 37 years, and I need to do a little reset on my relationships and my walk with Jesus because I want to be the person that gives grace and kindness and compassion and accountability and encouragement and support and love to those around me because they're doing it for me and I want to grow in my relationship and da 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 da. It might take uh, it might take us to say, okay, wait, 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 wait. It's not conduit or whatever other church it is. Or conduit's a bad church. That's impossible. Like we're no. No, we're bad people. And we all come to the same place. Right? And when a bunch of bad, sinful people get together and do a bunch of big things, right? We're going to sometimes. Right? And we, and we got to just be willing to say, well, hold up. Like, hold on a second. Everyone friggin' chill out. Okay? Everyone love everyone, okay? And we got to be willing to stop and say that and reorient and reboot and reset and say, okay, I was made to live in community with others. If I want to be a disciple, I need to be in community with others. And here's what I found. I found that um, that is, what I found is that the more in community I am with people, uh, the less harsh and critical I am of the church, the more intentional I am about loving others, about being real, and about growing with Jesus. And when I say the more, when, when the times where I'm more intentional about being rooted in community, what I'm not saying is the more intentional I am about coming to church. Right? I, I want you to understand that, okay? Um, because while this is a vital and, like, important, critically important aspect of your walk with Jesus Christ, your following of Jesus Christ, your discipling by Jesus Christ, this is not where your primary growth in discipleship will come from. We grow best not sitting in rows. We grow best in groups. We, we grow best in groups, not in rows. And in the times where I've sat in groups of people who are all there because they want to be, right? Not because they're perfect, not because they have it all together, but because they want to be, because they want to pursue Jesus, and they want to do it with other people, those are the times where I've been like, you know what? Yeah, if I just sat in rows for my whole life, I might believe that there is not a single person full of grace or kindness or encouragement or accountability in the church. I might actually believe that. But when you gather around a table or when you gather in a living room or when you gather at a coffee shop 
And you become in close proximity, not with a row of people, but with a group of people where you can look into their eyes, which are the windows to our souls. You begin to believe that grace and love and support and encouragement and kindness really does exist in those who are following Jesus Christ. And it will change your life forever. There are some gospel, I'm gonna, we're going to end with a few scriptures this morning, all right? Some gospel community watermarks, like high watermarks. Like, here, here is why we believe them. Here, here is why we believe these things. Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him, in, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So we, so in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all of the others. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how, may we, how we may spur one another on toward love and good, good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. I'll leave the other ones, if you can bring that title slide with all those references back up for me, Rachel. I'll leave those other ones for you to explore and read um, on your own. But um, the point here, the point here being is that the role of community in your growth as a disciple is key and critical and was the way that Jesus did it. Okay, now we have something here, um, we have a, a ministry here that we call our, our open houses, which is, um, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, different churches use different language, it's our small group ministry, it's our, um, our, our groups ministry here, and here in um, a few weeks we'll be um, launching some new groups, okay, and um, so uh, maybe, maybe this Maybe this message is a little out of season. Maybe we should have done the group launch today to get you all riled up to do that. But I'm just trusting that God will write this word on your heart and speak it into your heart. The need for true community that exists not just in the rows that you're sitting in now, but the groups that we gather in um, to, do, to do life together because we're all the members of one body. All right? So um, next week we're going to deal with our last two uh, core values, which is that we exist for others, um, and um, that we will embrace, or we 
uh, that we will embrace creative ways to reach people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? So it's all about mission next week um, as part of our core values this week about discipleship. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the gift of your word to us, Lord, and um, we do hear, we do hear the words of Jesus when man may be thinking of what was necessary for him to say as parting remarks or parting comments to his disciples. What do you say in a moment like that? And what Jesus said was, hey, um, go and make disciples. Go and do it. It's the last thing I'm going to tell you. It's the most important thing I'm going to tell you. Go and do it. Teach people to follow me. Let them model their lives after mine, Lord. Let them watch, learn, hear, experience, try, fail, try again, succeed. Lord, and we want to do that with, um, I want to do that. I, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus more closely. I want to, I want to watch eagerly and expectedly his life and model my life after his, Lord. And I want to do that. I want to help do that for other people as well. Lord, so help us, Father, as a church to know really clearly, Lord, the steps necessary in walking with people as they walk with you. Because it's not always clear and it's never easy. Lord, let us embrace the frustrations so that we may embrace the blessing of seeing people walk in darkness and into the light. Lord, we pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus for an overflow of disciple-making at Conduit in 2020. Lord, that we would have an overwhelming flood of baptisms this year. People expressing faith in Jesus Christ, surrendering their lives and lordship to him, walking in the journey of discipleship. In Jesus' name, amen.